five minutes after 6 a.m. Good morning, everybody. My name is Nachum Siegel. Welcome to a Friday, Erev Shabbos. This is your Jewish Moments in the Morning radio program. Life is a mountain we must climb. We don't have forever just the time he gives us. Get to the top if you can. This is the challenge of man Yes, you might fall and tumble down Sometimes that happens when you dare Knowing you, my child You'll pick yourself up Start again from there Keep climbing Don't let nothing stand in your way Keep believing Pay no attention to what they say Up is where you want to go
mountain we must climb
Mosai, 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 Timloch, Mosai, Timloch, Betsyoin. Tell us when will you return to your holy city and restore your throne? To Yerushalayim. Ki mechakim, And who else but your precious children? Would still be waiting and waiting and waiting for you. For so very many years, Mahasai, Mahasai Tinloch, 
With loyalty and patience Through the sorrow and the tears Mosaitim loich And we're so hopeful for that day You have never lost our trust And should you choose to keep us waiting We'll keep asking if we must. Masaitim loich
Yeah. 
J.M. in the A.M. Friday morning, Erev Shabbos. Hello, everybody. Maishi Tischler, Bracha Marubo. You heard of Harenu, brand new from Yoni Jakubovic. Uh, Masai was Ash from Volume 3. Kayal, that was Moshe Hecht. Yehuda had Kaveh. Avremo, Avram Fried with a great uh, English classic, Keep Climbing. And, of course, Regesh, Modani opening things up. And we say good morning. Welcome to a Friday on this August 14th, day 24 in the month of Menachem Av, the year 5780. Tough Shin Pei. It is Erev Shabbos Parshas Re'eh, candle lighting time at 734 on this, um, on this Erev Shabbos. 734 is candle lighting officially. It's getting earlier. Make sure you're aware of when Shabbos starts. It is getting earlier. We'll bench Rosh Chodesh Elul tomorrow, believe it or not. Next Friday, we start blowing chauffeur. We'll bench Rosh Chodesh Elul tomorrow. Rosh Chodesh will be Thursday and Friday. Rosh Chodesh will be Thursday and Friday. The Molad, as Rabbi Heber pointed out to us much earlier in the year 5780, the Molad is, is basically the furthest away this year from the actual observance of Rosh Chodesh. So Rosh Chodesh is Thursday and Friday. The Molot is late Tuesday night. How do you like that? 75 degrees, 68% humidity. Winds are east at 9 miles an hour. Partly cloudy with a high temperature of 85. Then tonight, clouds and a low 71. Tomorrow, partly cloudy, a high 84 degrees. 84 in Yerushalayim, 59 up in Guilford, New York, where Camp Masora was supposed to be. 65 in Milford, Pennsylvania, where Camp Masora is, courtesy of the governor of the state of New York. As more and more, um, as more and more businesses are closing, see now we're in the middle of August. Now this lockdown essentially has been, uh, in most cases, I know there are exceptions, outdoor dining, some businesses able to actually open up. I get that, but in terms of the um, the actual lockdown and its after effects, the things that our government officials did not consider, we're now in. Uh, in, let's see, April, May, June, July, August. We're now exactly five months, five months, five months. It's almost half a year since the governments of these states, as they watched the numbers go down, thank God, you know, forgot that there are other numbers they have to consider. How many people are out of work? How many people have businesses that cannot possibly sustain themselves in this type of situation? How many people, you know, were able to make it for a few months, but now forget it. Now's the time that they're that they have to make a final decision and actually close their business, have to actually move on and 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 you know declare their business dead. Uh, I mean, th- th- that they were able to hang on till now is a miracle. 
But that's it. There's a there's a a boundary. There's a, a deadline. And now it's five months, and a lot of people are closing their businesses, and it's so sad to see. And and I don't know how so many of them are going to be able to restart from from their own ground zero. At this point, so um, I know the government think that they, thinks that they are they are brilliant planners. Uh, now many 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 millions of people are going to be affected by the results of poor planning. Uh, thinking that the best thing is to keep everything locked down as long as possible, as heavily as possible, um, until the you know the virus went down to to thank God these incredible low numbers, but look at the price that's been paid. Um, I don't know. Anyway, I I know I got onto this because <laughs> because the governor, the governor here in New York was responsible for Camp Missouri not opening on its usual campus. They went ahead and um, and opened a thirty five. I think it's thirty five nights on the campus in Milford, Pennsylvania. I believe it was a total. It, it's scheduled to be a total of thirty five nights. They went on. Uh, I think it was July fifteenth. Anyway, I think it was a total of thirty five nights. So tonight would be, uh, I guess, thirty two or thirty three. Tonight would be the thirty third night up at the new campus in Pennsylvania. Bliain Hara, Bliain Hara. Thank God, they have not had one case. They have adhered to every rule. They have completely locked down the camp, and the staff and campers have been extremely cooperative. And they did it right, and they proved they could do it right, and they could have done it up in Guilford, New York also, that I could tell you. And now, even if, God forbid, God forbid, something would go wrong, for example, today, you'd still have to consider it a massively successful summer, just a brilliantly successful summer. So Dina and Ari Katz get tremendous accolades as they get set for uh, night number 33 tonight out of 35 in the uh, Camp Missouri campus of 2020. Anyway, uh, and here in New York City, it's 75 degrees as we, as we wake up. That was, a long, that was a long diversion. As we wake up on a Friday morning, Arab Shabbos here at JM in the AM. Uh, I am glad that so many of you are around to gather with us on a daily basis. It is heartwarming, and yesterday I received a letter that I actually read during the live lunch because it came in. Uh, it came in during the live lunch. The letter reads: "Enclosed, it reads, enclosed is a check for your wonderful programs. We are two senior citizens in Century Village, Boca, Florida. You provide a wonderful connection to the Jewish world, Jewish music, Jewish unity, and Israel." We love your interviews with interesting guests. There is something for everyone. Keep up the good work. It gives us chizuk. That's listeners Sarah and Perry down in Boca, and I say thank you to them. Spread the word in Century Village, please. There are other people there, I bet, who would fall in love with this show and with this network. And I thank them. I thank them for the, not only for the donation, but those encouraging words. My gosh. That's what we want to be. That's what we've aimed to be all these decades, a place where Jews can gather every day, get chizuk, get news, get music, feel good for being part of a community. And during this COVID crisis since March, there have been very few opportunities to gather together, very few davenings, very few weddings, very few social events and dinners compared to regular times. So thank God we're able to provide this on a daily basis, and I'm so glad we're here 
to do that for everybody. And Baruch Hashem, thank God, God has been very, very generous to me and my family. And thank God, Bliyayin Hura, I've been able to stay healthy, or have been healthy, I should say, because of his good graces uh, since March. And we should just be able to continue every single day. Coming up one hour from now, it's Malcolm Honline, Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. You may have heard something about Israel and the UAE. That'll no doubt be one of the headlines today as we discuss uh, the news of the week. The weekly update at 7.40 a.m. Eastern Time this morning here at JMNAM. We have words about Parshas HaShavua, words about Parshas Re'e, Harry Rothenberg at 7.10, Rabbi Yudin at 8.15, uh, as we talk about this week's Parsha. And we do Ben Shosh Chodesh. Uh, I do want to recommend, a, a. it was a really great tweet from the folks at Jewish Calendar Tidbits, which sums up the whole benching Rosh Chodesh situation, that Thursday and Friday will be Rosh Chodesh Elul, that the Molot is late Tuesday night, after midnight, after 1 a.m. actually. Um, so I, I, if you haven't yet liked or followed, I should say better. I should say it better. Uh, if you haven't yet followed Jewish calendar tidbits on Twitter, I highly, highly recommend the Twitter feed. Again, Jewish calendar tidbits. Tidbits. All right. And that is that. Feel free to comment on the app. Go to the NSN, Nahum Single Network app for Android and iPhone. Trucker Yitz has already commented, says it's Erev Shabbos Mavarchim. Elul is Thursday and Friday. Yeah. Rosh Hashanah is five weeks away. That's right, Yitz. We started this whole COVID situation thinking about what's Pesach going to be like, and then will we be, will we be back in shul for Shavuos? <clears throat> and then, of course, uh, dealing with... Um, Shavasar Batamlos and Tishabov slightly differently than we normally do. And now it's time for the high holidays. Now we're getting ready for Elul. We're getting ready for Slichas. We're getting ready for Ashunium Kippur and eventually Sukkis. As that discussion has also begun for many people, what Sukkis is going to be like and how is that going to be handled? There's a lot to be considered. There's a lot to be spoken about. That's for sure. Ari Goldwag is next. You're listening to JM in the AM on a Friday morning, Erev Shabbos Mavorachim. Plenty coming up between now and 9 a.m. and all day long at the Nahum Siegel Network.
Hello. 
JM in the AM. Friday morning, Erev Shabbos with Yidel and Leiv Achad. You heard Mordechai ben David and the Werdigers in there with Lachad O.D. Oh, Mendy Werdiger had Bowie Vishalom before that. Uh, Ari Goldwag with Yeshli Hakol. Friday morning, Erev Shabbos on this Parsha's Re'e, candlelighting 734 in New York. Make sure you know when candlelighting is where you are. And, um, yeah, Shabbos is getting earlier, no matter where you are. Well, is that true? I guess it's getting later in some parts of the world, but earlier for us in the Northern Hemisphere. So make sure you know where you, uh, where things are, uh, or what, you know, make sure you know, <laughs> make sure you know when things start. couple of important programming notes coming up at 9 a.m. right after JM and the AM. It's going to be Naomi Nachman in a brand new edition of Table for Two. Live. ZK has arranged for it to be live with Danielle Renoff and Shlomo Klein. Naomi's going to join us in the 8 o'clock hour for a couple of words about this exciting development. We're kicking off Season 5781, and Naomi's helping us by getting a table for two revved up and started today live at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, followed, of course, by the Arab Shabbos show with Mark Zamek, prepared for Parshas Re'eh, uh, brought to you by the wonderful people at Kedem and uh, presented and hosted by Mark Zamek. Um, so that's a big programming note for today. It's America's one and only Jewish Moments in the Morning radio program, heard on listeners-sponsored digital radio. Around the world, the web at AlchemSingle.com and the AlchemSingle Network, and of course, on the beloved NSN app. On Sunday, Matis will be speaking with Jody Samuels, author of Chutzpah, Wisdom, and Wine. More details coming up on that. That'll be Sunday morning during JM Sunday. Lots of great programming, always. Never touch that dial, always keep it at the AlchemSingle Network. Galitzal Israel Army Radio 2 p.m. newscast next to Jam Dam. Galitzal Asha Stein, Kantalia Cohen, Imashikore Achav. אחרי תקיפת צהל בריצואה נמשכת הפרחת הבלונים מעזה לעבר שטח ישראל. מספר שריפות התלקחו היום בשטחים פתוחים במועצה האזורית שער הנגב, ככל הנראה מהצטות של בלוני תבערה. כתבנו רמי שאני מוסר כי צוותי כיבוי השתלטו על האש. במהלך הלילה תקף צהל יעדי טרור של חמאס בעזה, בתגובה על הפרחת בלוני תבערה שהציתו אתמול אש ב-20 מוקדים. כתבנו בדרום רמי שני מוסר כי כלי טיס וטנקים תקפו פתחי מנהרות בעומק הרצועה ועמדות תצפית הסמוכות לגבול עם ישראל. נשיאת הנציבות האירופית אורסולה פונדר ליין מצטרפת לקריאות באיחוד האירופי להטלת עיצומים על בלרוס. זאת בעקבות העימותים בין כוחות הביטחון לבין מפגינים, הטוענים כי תוצאות הבחירות לנשיאות, לנשיאות המדינה זויפו. שרי החוץ של האיחוד האירופי ידונו היום באפשרות להטיל עיצומים על בלרוס, שידרשו תמיכה פה אחד של 27 מדינות האיחוד. ועדת השרים לענייני קורונה אישרה את הגדלת ההתקהלות המותרת בחללים סגורים. במשאל טלפוני שערכו השרים, הם החליטו להתיר התקהלויות של עד 20 איש בחללים ששטחם גדול מ-80 מטר רבוע. בחללים קטנים יותר תאושר התקהלות של עד עשרה אנשים. ההקלות שתיכנסנה לתוקף ביום ראשון בצהריים יחולו גם על בתי תפילה. זאת בעקבות לחץ מצד השרים דרעי וליצמן לאיזון בין ההגבלות על בתי הכנסת לבין אלה שחלות על מסעדות. 
מדד המחירים לצרכן עלה בחודש יולי בשתי עשיריות האחוז, כך מפרסמת הלשכה המרכזית לסטטיסטיקה. האינפלציה מתחילת השנה היא שלילית של שש עשיריות האחוז. כתבנו לענייני כלכלה ניתאי ענבי מוסיף שלמרות משבר הקורונה מחירי הדירות הוסיפו לעלות בחודשים מאי ויוני בארבע עשיריות האחוז והשלימו עלייה של כשני אחוזים בחישוב שנתי. תחזית מזג האוויר, היום הטמפרטורות רגילות לעונה, מחר צפויה התחממות. בשל עומס החום הצפוי סגרו מחר וביום ראשון מסלולי ההליכה בנחלים דרגה ואוג וכל אתרי הגלישה בנחלי מדבר יהודה. כתבתנו עינב קרנר מוסרת שגם המסלולים בשמורת נחל פרת יהיו סגורים למטיילים. ברשות הטבע והגנים מעדכנים כי בשני הלילות האחרונים נקלטו בחניוני הלילה בהר הנגב ובמכתש רמון כ-30 אלף מבקרים שבאו לצפות במטר המטאורים. אלה החדשות שערכה ענבל אלבז.
Good request off of the NSN Nahum Single Network app. Thank you, listener G-Man. Nahum, can you please play Berchas HaChodesh and we throw Williger's Kalbach Menucha Shabbos? That's from the rest of Shabbos. I assume that's it, right? Yeah. Uh, there it is. Berchas HaChodesh. Good choice. And thank you, listener G-Man. Uh, feel free to comment on the app. Go to the NSN Nahum Single Network app for Android and iPhone and comment away. Half hour away from our weekly update, analyzing the news of the week. Harry Rothenberg has words about the Parshas Re'eh. He always inspires us with uh, comments about the week's Parsha. Again, Harry Rothenberg, Parshas Re'eh on a Friday morning here at JMN. I am Dracula. Moshe, Moses, tells the Jewish people that they have to strengthen themselves not to eat the blood of animals. But why do they have to strengthen themselves? That seems like an easy command to obey. One line of commentators says, au contraire, there was an intense desire back in the day. Back in the pagan world, people liked to eat or drink blood in conjunction with rituals wherein they would try to summon demons or to foretell the future. If any of you know what I'm talking about from firsthand knowledge, you may want to keep it to yourselves. So because of that desire, they were told, be strong, avoid it. But one second. This isn't the first time that God is introducing the prohibition not to drink or eat the blood of animals. God's told the Jews about that multiple times in the past, but he's never mentioned anything about being strong. Why now? One commentator offers the following ingenious explanation. During the 40 years in the desert, the Jews existed. They subsisted on the mun, the miraculous manna that fell from heaven. The sages tell us that the manna tasted like whatever you had in mind. All you had to do was concentrate and you could taste steak or pulled brisket or lamb chops, and I'm going to stop this list before my mouth starts watering. So if a Jewish vampire wanted to taste blood while in the desert, all he or she had to do was concentrate on that taste, and they'd be able to get that taste in completely permitted fashion. But now the 40 years are coming to an end. They're about to go into the promised land. The mun is going to stop falling from heaven. They're going to have to fend for themselves for food. So if Dracula, Schwartz, or Goldberg wants to continue satisfying that particular thirst, they'll have to resort to forbidden means. So now Moshe is saying, be strong. Not just because of the desire for that activity, but also because the evil inclination tempts us not just to chase things that are pleasurable, but also sometimes to do things merely because they're forbidden in order to rebel against God. Think about Adam and Eve. One prohibition in the garden. Don't eat from that one tree. And they couldn't handle that. Another line of commentators says, no. There was no desire for blood. It was as disgusting to human beings then as it is now. But there's a deep lesson. 
God's saying, you have to strengthen yourselves to avoid a prohibition, even if it's something that's disgusting to you. So how much more so do you have to strengthen yourselves? Not to chase a prohibition of something that you really do desire. Deep lesson, but there's more than that. Think about this. Because of the Jewish law that prohibits the drinking or eating of blood, we are so careful to avoid it. We salt our meat after ritually slaughtering a kosher animal in order to exsanguinate the blood. If we crack open an egg and there's even a tiny blood spot, we throw away the whole egg. But notwithstanding how careful we are, our enemies during our history have been brazen enough to claim not only that we do drink or eat blood, but that our religion requires us to use the blood of non-Jewish babies while baking our matzahs for Passover. Nothing could possibly be further from the truth. So God's telling us, be strong. No matter how outlandish, how ridiculous, how demonstrably false the claims of your enemies, you remain strong. Stick with me. Keep the Torah. I'll protect you. The Jews will survive. Your enemies will end up in the dustbins of history.
Well, I'm glad we played Shlomo Kalbach with a great Shabbos selection, Lemik Dashech, but I sort of feel bad because <laughs> I was in the middle of that really nice uh, Lachun Aranana done by uh, Except Saturday. So maybe we should finish that one. We'll finish that one here at JM in the AM. <laughs>
JM in the AM. Hachalom, done by Mordechai Shapiro. Before that, you heard the uh, Limikdashech. That was Shlomo Kalbach. And we did conclude, <laughs> gave you the second half of the Except Saturday song called Lachuna. I don't know. <laughs> right, that was my fault. Friday morning, well, who else, right? Friday morning on this JM in the AM. Erev Shabbos Parshas Re'e, candle lighting 734 in New York. We'll bench Rosh Chodesh Elul. Rosh Chodesh will be Thursday and Friday. Again, Rosh Chodesh Elul, Thursday and Friday. Feel free to comment on the app. Go to the NSN, Nachum Single Network app for Android and iPhone. Listener Tikva says, Shabbat Shalom, Eretz HaKodesh. Thank you. Um, listener Nachum wants to hear Ari Goldwag's curry bone. Hmm. Let's see if we can find that one quickly. Uh, Malcolm Honeline coming up. Lots of news. Lots of news. Weekly update starts 7.40 a.m. Eastern time here at JM in the AM. Oh, we have uh, a couple. First of all, ZK just called me. I don't know. I don't know the last time ZK made a phone call this early in the morning, frankly, because he's at so many wedding jobs, doing so many uh, amazing live streams. Those of you who've seen anybody who has seen a live stream at a wedding, you know, you've watched from your home to check out the chuppah, the dancing, whatever it is. Chances are ZK is doing it. Yeah, we we knew this 25 years ago. How great an engineer he is. Then based on our recommendation, of course, the rest of the world found out about it. Uh, so anyway, he's on his way right now uh, to the Nachman Studios <laughs> um, for a live version of Table for Two. Table for Two this morning is going to be uh, from the Nachman Studios, Naomi's studio. Uh, she'll welcome Danielle Renoff and Shlomo Klein. And it'll be on live between 9 and 10. What a way to kick off the brand new season, a live Table for Two between the 9 and 10, and um, and um, th- that'll be, and not only that, not only that, uh, in addition to doing the show live, which, you know, again, they'll be doing uh, between 9 and 10 this morning, then they're going to be recording next week's show. So another fresh table for two coming up. Next week here at uh, the Nahum Siegel Network between 9 and 10 o'clock. Mark Zamek with the Arab Shabbos Show brought to you by the wonderful people at Kedem starting at 10 a.m. Eastern Time. Make sure to be tuned in. And Matis has a special show this Sunday where he's going to be uh, doing an interview uh, on JM Sunday. Uh, Matis this Sunday will speak with Jody Samuels. She is the uh, author of the book Chutzpah, Wisdom, and Wine. The Journey of an Unstoppable Woman. And um, Matis has Jody Samuels on this coming Sunday on JM Sunday, which airs between 7 and 9 Eastern Time live every Sunday here on the Nahum Siegel Network. So make sure to be tuned in for that. Um, make sure to be tuned in for that and uh, and enjoy. Matis with a special guest this Sunday. Malcolm Honeline coming up. We've got the weekly update, of course, on the way. Um, Rabbi Yudin, Naomi Nachman's going to join us toward the end of the show as we get set for her live table for two this morning and plenty more here at JM in the AM. All right, so our listener requested uh, Ari Goldwag's Curry Bone. There we go. I haven't blown this one yet. It's still going. <laughs> Friday morning, JM in the AM.
Latest from uh, Shlomo Katz. It's the the 40 for 40 project. He's literally releasing 40 songs in honor of his 40th birthday. That is song number four. Yeah, we got 36 to go. How do you like that? Friday morning, Erev Shabbos, Parshas Re'eh. Well, Ben Shosh Chodesh Elul. Believe it or not, the high holidays are uh, soon going to be here. Hard to believe. Rosh Chodesh is Thursday and Friday next week. Thursday and Friday, we'll start blowing chauffeur on Friday morning. As we get set for the uh, brand new year coming up. Speaking of brand new year, Naomi Nachman is going to kick off uh, 5781 early. 
She's doing a live presentation this morning, live between 9 and 10, um, of Table for Two. Both uh, Danielle Renoff and Shlomo Klein will be her guests. Her guests, it's coming up between 9 and 10 this morning, followed by the Erev Shabbos show, uh, hosted by Mark Zamek and brought to you by the wonderful people at Kedem. That is all coming up uh, this morning at JM. They also a reminder, Matis on Sunday, during JM Sunday between 7 and 9 a.m., he's going to be speaking with the Jody Samuel. She's author of the book Chutzpah, Wisdom, and Wine, The Journey of an Unstoppable Woman. Jody Samuels is Matis' guest Sunday on JM Sunday here live at the Nahum Siegel Network, so keep that in mind. This portion of NSN programming brought to you by our friends at A&H. Abel's and Hyman Kosher Hot Dog Sausage and Deli is the world's best, serving the kosher world since 1954. Available, the hot dogs are available at um, Trader Joe's nationwide, all their products at all the great kosher supermarkets nationwide. Enjoy a 10% discount when you use promo code radio at kosherdogs.net, kosherdogs.net. And as we get to our weekly update, I remind you that our friends at JewishWorldReview.com, JewishWorldReview.com, they're an amazing resource, not just for news on a daily basis and a newsletter that's always up to date and comprehensive, but in addition, uh, a a golden opportunity to find on a Friday or on any Erev Shabbos or Yontif thousands of articles of interest in the Jewish world, and then you get to print them out. You can print out hundreds of articles. And have plenty of important reading material as you relax on uh, Shabbat and uh, observe the day with your family. So keep that in mind. Go to JewishWorldview.com again, JewishWorldview.com for all the details. Malcolm Honline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. He is here Fridays at 7.40 a.m. Eastern Time for the weekly update. Mr. Honline, welcome back to JM in the AM. Well, thank you, and thank you for the uh Samples of A&H's uh, delicacies, which we look forward to uh, sampling. For those who thought it was a joke when we said we were going to shower you with A&H gifts, <laughs> now we know it was reality, and now you have an opportunity to grill away, as the summer expression goes. I'm very anxiously looking forward to it and hoping you get a good Cadillac uh, sponsor or <laughs> Tesla or somebody. If you if you see if you see, if you see a unique vehicle pulling up to your front door, you'll know that we are responsible for. I it. know it's the wrong address. Right? <laughs> Very good. Uh, well, you know the news of the. I mean, it's a lot of news this week, and obviously we'll talk about uh, uh, the race here for the White House, which uh, took quite an interesting um, uh, turn this week. We'll talk all about that, but first we'll start with Israel and the UAE in a in a deal that seems to have been brokered the way it's being spoken about and promoted by the United States of America, by Washington, by the White House, by President Trump, uh, there is now a, it seems, and you'll tell us, you'll give us the details about whether this is actually ironclad at the moment or we're on the way to it. It was a little confusing to me if this is actually already implemented. Uh, A similar peace agreement as Israel has with Egypt, as Israel has with Jordan, with the United Arab Emirates. Tell us the uh, current status of Israel and its relationship with the UAE. Well, my hope is that it'll be even better, because uh, with Egypt and Jordan, it still remains a piece of the governments and not a piece of the people. And I hope that with the UAE, which you know I have visited often and I have promoted this uh, effort, um, the latest effort was, of course, that of the United States, um, Ambassador Otaiba in Washington, the UAE ambassador. I think his article, an op-ed piece, was a critical watershed in this, uh, which he published in an Israeli paper against annexation, but um, the very fact that, that, that they would publish it in, in an Israeli paper 
uh, was deemed significant. Uh, You know that Israelis have been visiting the UAE. Certainly, Jews have been welcomed there. There's a shul there. They they recognition about two years ago, officially, of the community, which had been allowed to function in the synagogue in Dubai, which... um, um, I don't know, and when I was there on Shabbat, maybe 50, 60 people come every Shabbat. They have a mm-hmm. Kiddush. There are several hundred Jews living in the in Dubai and Abu Dhabi, but m- most of the Jews are in the Dubai area. There's a, actually a second synagogue there, too, Chabad. Um, the, 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 um, so the recognition by the government and the acknowledgement in tourist books and other things of the existence of the Jewish community and the synagogue, which was unmarked, was highlighted in, in remarks that people made in the, the building, this uh, Abrahamic faith uh, center, a monotheistic uh, center. And on display in the major museum is a huge chumash, uh, an old one, uh, as well as some other Judaica. The, there are Jewish students at the NYU campus there, and they have a, a rabbi who comes, Rabbi Sarna comes there and leads services, and they come to the synagogue in, in Dubai. So there have been a lot of changes in the week we were there. A year ago, we, we had the whole week kosher food. They let us fly in a mashkiach. They had, gave us all the facilities. We had a minion every day. And never a moment did we have any question about security, safety. We met with, and I have been there many times, uh, met with MBZ, and the discussions have always been open. And I, And the real... Hope is that others will follow suit, even some of the smaller states like Bahrain or Oman, which BB visited, as you remember, and Bahrain, which has hosted Jews and, and Israelis. Uh, but we, we've seen the, the signs that barriers were coming down when Israeli athletes were able to play, and they played the Tikva, and Israeli ministers uh, came when Israeli teams were playing. The uh, ability of uh, the openness to Israel building a pavilion for the uh, 2020, which I guess won't be 2020, uh, Expo. But but there's been this steady uh, progress, and and I think that the um, significance should not be underestimated. It is a difference. It's the first country in 26 years, Arab country, to officially recognize Israel. You know that Israel and the Sudan have been uh, working together, had closer relationships, Israel with Morocco. Maybe this will be, you know, a cover for them to, to do something more formal. Every government has to weigh it in terms of their own circumstances. And uh, But the informal contacts or less visible contacts between all of them have been going on, the trade, the security cooperation. And it's not just about Iran, but Iran certainly is a big impetus because, as many of them said, Israel's our only hope against the enemy, that they believe Israel has the capacity to help them. And and they've seen that Israel is not the source of instability, it's the source of stability. They would like to see the Palestinian issue resolved, but many of them have said to us, these are the leaders of the Arab countries, that because of the kleptocracy, the lack of democracy, the the uh, practices that they've engaged in, their refusal to, to come to the table, they said that if you ask our people, it, it doesn't make the top 10 or even the top 20 of the concerns that they have. It is an obstacle. It does limit them. And, of course, uh, their opposition will use it as uh, against them. But I think the Palestinians got a message that they, has been trying to be communicated to them for a long time. 
But this is really, I think, uh, an awakening that time is not on their side. They always argued, you know, we can wait. We can wait a thousand years. We waited before. And now they see that the train is leaving the station without them. They're going to become more and more isolated. They can yell and scream that the Arab countries betrayed them. But the fact is that they're pursuing their national interests. They have provided billions and countless billions of dollars, which they say is all wasted in the, in the kleptocracy that Abbas and Arafat before him ran. So people should, should I think, see this as a very positive development. Of course, Israel had to make some concessions. Whether it's uh, the, the true status of it, we'll only know in time about the uh, application of sovereignty or other um, which is the primary issue involved. But embassies are supposed to be opened and trade and other things increased and enhanced. I, I know that even the, the Saudis have talked to us when we were there about, you know, the role that they think Israel can play and how much they can benefit each other. Each step is, is adding to the stability of the region, to Israel's security, and um, it's not a panacea. It doesn't end the challenges to Israel. It doesn't diminish Hezbollah, Hamas, Iran, Turkey, others who, who are aggressive against Israel. But it is a change. Um, if, if one understands the advantage that Egypt and Jordan took advantage of, or, or the, uh, the benefit, I should say, that they took advantage of when they arranged peace agreements with Israel. I mean, obviously, the you know the the uh, they probably were, were were tired of trying to maintain a strong military presence. Obviously, there still is one, but you get my point. One ready for war on their borders, and they couldn't handle it both financially and in terms of it, just a practical issue. And and they felt uh, it was a good idea to make peace with Israel, and 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 that their country can move forward in a better fashion if they would have peace on their border. And the UAE is nowhere near Israel. This is not a, I understand you say that, you know, Israel would benefit from this in terms of security as well, but it's not like the UAE is attacking Israel or participating in any type of aggressive action against Israel. Uh, they had to have had some, and, and by the way, if you go back 25, 30 years, and certainly to the time of the Six-Day War as far back as that and uh, the Yom Kippur War, was the UAE essentially aligned with all the Arab states? Were they a country that today would never, it seems, you know, uh, uh, endorse the activities and the statements of places like Iran, Lebanon, the PA, etc.? Uh, in those days, were they aligned with all the other Arab states and considered a full-blown enemy of Israel? Uh, they were. I mean, the Gulf states were considered an enemy. Saudi Arabia sent some troops in. Um, I'm not going to tell you that they were at the forefront of the, of the battle. Their troops have become much more significant in recent years, better trained. They buy very good equipment, mostly American. So, first of all, we have to see what, is the, what is, incentivizes them. Right. And one is the relationship with the United States that the U.S. was behind it, President Trump, uh, Avi Berkowitz, the others deserve credit for helping to foster it and to, to making it possible. But the, the, the big thing for Egypt and Jordan, of course, was the relationship with the United States. Again, I think you raise a good point about diminishing the, the military uh, front. And, you know, they, both, they all have domestic challenges of terrorism, of Iranian influence, of Islamists, of others. Uh, and therefore, the the less they have to worry about Israel and the right. border with Israel, and the more that they want to benefit. I mean, right. Jordan, of course, wants Israel to be in the Jordan Valley and, and the border and to be protecting it. But for for these countries, um, 
it, they're not looking for U.S. aid so much as as the relationship with U.S. solidifying the uh, a block in the region. You know, they see what in the Eastern Mediterranean, which I've talked about and won't go into, but about between Jordan, Cyprus, between Israel, Cyprus, Greece, and how Israel st- stood with Greece this week against the Turkish uh, military incursion uh, threat or pressure, I should say. Um, but they're working on their joint energy. They're working on other things. Egypt is now part of that. Others are, are, are part of it. Some of them, not even publicly, but have told me that they want to be included in it. The, the, um, and the, the link to the Gulf, and CC told me, you know, when I spoke to him about it um, a couple years ago, and he said, I'm in, and I will bring the Gulf with me. They, the, the linking of the positive forces, the anti-Iranian forces, the anti-Islamist forces, the anti-terrorism forces, together, it's, it, it's really not a long distance from the Red Sea to the to the Indian Ocean to the to from the Gulf to the Mediterranean, and more and more, it's all interrelated. You know, the world shrinks on this, and they want to work together on COVID. In the, in the last months, they've been doing that, but more than that, they see what Israel has to offer in high tech, in economic, and in in agriculture, and all the things that water conservation that they need, things that, that are vital to them at this time. So Iran and Syria and Lebanon, by extension, the PA, uh, to an extent, obviously Hamas for sure, they must be furious at this whole thing. The PA, most of all, but yes, they're, all, they're furious at anything that reflects normalization. They want normalization at a price, meaning that Israel should withdraw from everything first, and, every, and Israel, from what they define uh, as the border that they want to see, um, that many of them uh, want to see additional pressure, and, and uh, whether it's the boycott movements, whether it's the tunnels from, from uh, Lebanon, right. or the militias along the Golan, or whether it's Hezbollah now, you know, that they've been firing these, uh, sending these uh, uh, balloons, which have done a lot of damage. I know people don't take it seriously, and I've talked about it before. I won't go again long into it, but it is uh, these things set, many hundreds of fires are set by it. And Israel's deployed now a, a laser device to shoot down the balloons. Because once they hit, they explode on impact, and they start a fire. And they can land in people's homes. They land in kindergartens. They land all over. But they do a lot of damage. And Israel can't just have people's lives. Right. They can't, you know, it's not that they're looking on the ground and seeing if a troop is crossing. You can't keep your eyes up all the time to see if a balloon is going to hit you. Is Trump, and I'm, I'm, I'm being serious with this question, um, as much as people in our community love to praise him for everything, which I get, but is he simply at the, in the right place at the right time? I mean, could Obama, Clinton, anybody have gone to the UAE or accepted a proposal from the UAE to, to go forward like this? Or now Israel is so strong, or now the world and the Middle East is so dependent on being a partner with Israel because of COVID and the potential vaccine, et cetera, et cetera, that really it's right place, right time uh, concept. And th- this really could not have been done by any prior Democrat, Democrat or Republican. It might have been able to be done, but but it's the countries it had to be ready for. The UAE had to be ready, and as I said, the ambassador right. made this proposal, Ambassador Taibman, uh, to the to the U.S. government, which latched onto it, um, going to to Kushner and others, and saying, "Look, we we will 
move ahead on diplomatic relations, go to them, but say, in exchange, we want them right. to stop the the annexation because the feeling was, and I've talked to the ambassador about it, and, uh, that uh, many in the, in the Middle East feel that that will become a red flag. It will excite the populations. It would create a tremendous backlash. Others, obviously, especially in Israel, feel this is the opportunity. So I do think the election sort of gave it an, an inducement that uh, even if if, uh, the government, even if the government's change, it will take months. It'll take till next March, April, till people are in place and anything could be done. So they saw this was the opportunity and the fact that the Trump administration's representatives got involved and that Otaiba did what he did in publishing the article, but, but working and, and, you know, that Israelis have been going there for a long time, that Adam Mossad, others have visited the, the different uh, Gulf states. Uh, so there is ongoing cooperation uh, I think there are ongoing sales and commerce, too, uh, that the uh, timing was just uh, right and the uh, willingness to go to go ahead and, and um, make the, the step. But the incentive was that it's still the Trump peace plan. Right. It's America's one and only Jewish Moments in the Morning radio program heard on listener-sponsored digital radio. Around the world, the web at NahumSiegel.com and the NahumSiegel Network, and of course in the beloved NSN app. Uh, do you think there's a Nobel Peace Prize in the uh, in the future for President Trump after this move? <laughs> well, first of all, we should note that uh, uh, Senator Biden uh, supported it, came out uh, and praised it. Uh, the the move, uh, of course, claiming the credit for that previous administrations, and it's true that previous administrations have tried to to move uh, some of these things along. Um, so <clears throat> I think it's certainly, given some of the other Nobel Prizes that have been given out, I certainly think this one deserves a, a recognition of that kind. Does this help him in the uh, in the election, or it's irrelevant? In the election here, I, I don't think most Americans uh, cared. In the Jewish community, people who follow it and who listen to your show will see the significance of it. But again, it's not the sole determinant. They vote on, on many factors. Uh, I think many of those who would be influenced by this would, were voting for Moretti. But I don't think he did it for, for political reasons. I do think for the general American public, public, it shows that he's engaged, that the administration was engaged, and it's a, a positive step. I mean, you can't diminish it. You can't demean it. It's an important step, even well, though Israel had to make a concession. And whether it's permanent, temporary, the president last night said both. Uh, Netanyahu has said both. Uh, I think we'll have to wait and see. But for now, we can see this as a breakthrough. You can see the economic benefits at a time when Israel's economy is under strain, when you have uh, many unemployed, uh, the impact of COVID, that having new markets, having new opportunities, new investment, um, and new partners is very important. Will it help or hurt BB politically? I think it helps him. Uh, obviously, on some on the right are critical of him uh, for doing this, but I think those who are reflective about it, uh, uh, you know, and again, it's not one thing that that they vote on. And he hasn't. He didn't. He says he did not give up on the ultimate implementation of it. But I think for most Israelis, we'll see it as um, as a positive move. Hmm. They all want to go and visit there, I can tell you that. And, and as I said, I'm waiting for the Pesach program. So, it's a UAE. That's hilarious. So, so when someone calls me from Israel this morning and says, oh my gosh, everybody hates Bibi now, they're obviously talking about a select 
category of people who are not happy with the non-annexation part of the deal. Well, no, the people on the right end was something they promised, so that it's it's a question has to deal with. But I think that there has been a lot of anti-BB sentiment, um, even in the right. But there is no real alternative right now, and nobody wants to go to elections. Whether BB will will want to go now, based on this and and the other circumstances, to avoid actually transferring power to. Uh, to, to blue and white, and to see Benny Gantz as prime minister, to um, his own issues, which uh, are obviously very uh, relevant for all his considerations of what he faces in the trial starting in January. Um, I give him more credit than that. I think he does put the national interest above it and and pursued this because it is really uh, important. The um, uh, but. Yeah, his his polls don't necessarily reflect very good uh, standing, but I, I think if you would ask Israelis about this, I think the vast majority will, will welcome it and celebrate it. Erdogan wasn't happy with it. Erdogan's not happy with anything that's good for Israel. Erdogan is becoming more and more radical, and despite the fact and the efforts of some even here to... to um, moderate his image. The fact is that he is engaged all over the world in hostile activities. He's on the wrong side of all the conflicts, whether it's in uh, Yemen or in Libya or in uh, Sudan or um, in Ethiopia or in Nagar-Karabakh. Uh, he's sort of waffles there on, on it. And uh, But on, on the energy issues and against Greece, it, I mean, he's stirring trouble. He's He's claiming, you know, this deal with Libya that gives them control across the Mediterranean. He's brought his warships into these areas, and he, he get now, this uh, in the last two days, giving citizenship to Hamas leaders so that they can come to Turkey, even though he promised Israel that he would not do that. Wow. Uh, so yeah, I think Erdogan, it could be predicted, would be unhappy, that the Iranians would be unhappy. Um, does that mean then... As the equation goes, if your enemies don't like it, it must be okay. Is Putin unhappy, or we don't know yet? We don't uh, know. It, it, I mean, he's unhappy because he didn't pull it off. But I think uh, overall, and, and Russia, too, is, is becoming uh, more aggressive in its outreach. It's building bases in six African countries right now. It's certainly present in um, many of the conflicts, like Libya, uh, and certainly in, the, in in Syria, and they are against Iran. So to that degree, uh, I think he he would welcome it because it weakens the uh, allies of of Iran and Iran standing in the region. Uh, they, uh, but he pursues Russia's interests. He does it cleverly. He knows how to maximize his troops and minimal his investments uh, are minimal in many of these conflicts. Yet he's able to translate it into to gaining significant footholds. The economic conditions in in, in Russia are terrible, and yet he he uh, plays the region as you know. He, he doesn't want competition in the supply of energy that goes to Israel. So some of the pipelines that Israel and others are involved with. You know, are not something that he looks on favorably. He wants to have that chokehold, and Germany has been facilitating it. Uh, but we see more and more Europeans expressing concern about that. Um, I don't know about you, but uh, I'm going to continue to remind my family and friends, especially those in the younger generation, that it was not always like this. Uh, there are people who think that Israel's always been at the top of the world, <laughs> that other countries, including 
enemies and former enemies of theirs are you know begging them for their technology and want to partner with them for their research. Uh, I, I mean, I'm sure this has. I mean, I know I know because it's been meaning it's been in the news, and you mentioned it. How the vaccine ob- obviously is part of this as well. One would have to suspect that there's a good chance that when this vaccine, whichever country is responsible for it, uh, comes out, Israel will likely be a very important point country, right, in the distribution of the vaccine. You just have to assume that at this point. So any country that has a good relationship with Israel is only going to benefit from that and obviously other stuff down the road. Well, we saw that the claims uh, this week by Russia of having the vaccine, and it seems Hadassah Hospital was involved in the research and in the development. Uh, And Israeli scientists and others are are all over the world today working on uh, vaccines, going to Europe, going to others. They've opened up their research files. They they even made available patented uh, stuff to during the crisis. To, to countries to to copy their the ventilators and other things that they were able to make, uh, so it, Israel is a hub and and that's why we pushed this Mediterranean project for the last ten years, and the same reason why we pushed for relations and and ties to to the Gulf, because Israel can be the hub. Yeah. Israel doesn't have vast land; it doesn't have vast natural resources. They have created, you know, the war, through desalination, water supply. They, they are in the forefront in agriculture and other things, and maximizing the productivity of what they have. But the others look at it and see it as the brain trust and see what, what they can gain. And because of its geopolitical position, uh, you know, sitting near the Suez, sitting on the Red Sea, the Mediterranean, uh, it you know it was a crossing place in the past where ships would come into Haifa or Ashdod and train or truck over to the Red Sea and be able to go uh, further east. You know one of the benefits people don't realize is if Israel gets overflight rights, it cuts hours off of the trip to the Far East, or if they get right. particularly about Saudi Arabia, which is very important as that economically is is a more and more important destination. I'll tell you, like we try to convince individuals who are in conflict, it's just to everyone's benefit when countries are not in conflict because it, it, like you just said, you know, the, the, the convenience factor increases like crazy, the, the ability to build economically, the ability to stop using resources for military and, and, and terror like some countries are doing and helping out the citizens of the country who are suffering like crazy in the streets is also a big benefit. Uh, speaking of which, by the way, and I know this is not totally their fault because obviously that massive accident uh, is one of the results. Is there even a government now in Lebanon? I know the entire cabinet resigned. Who's in charge? Okay, that's a good question, actually, uh, because the answer might be different every hour. The, the, but I just want to say that the if you look, each of these countries are facing multiple conflicts right. that they are involved with, both domestically will have challenges, but regionally and even beyond. So... It has, you know, they, you're right that it's important for countries, also important for individuals, that if they would all realize how much they lose in conflict situations, whether right. it's in a community, in a right. shul, or something else. It took me a few decades to realize this, but thank God I realized it before, you know, while I'm still around. <laughs> so Lebanon, uh, the government resigned. They gave in the resignation to General Awun, who's the president, who used to be head of the Christian forces, an ally of Israel, turned enemy, uh, who's now back sort of weaning away from Hezbollah. Um, the, so, and Hezbollah obviously still has determined 
say and, and influence. Maybe we'll have even more. The problem is nobody wants to be prime minister. So they, while they shop a new government, the, inter, the old government is an interim government, mm-hmm. uh, and the prime minister remains. Obviously, the challenge of rebuilding Beirut is, is overwhelming, and I, I, I'm sure you know, there have been offers of aid, but nothing compared to what the need is. And many governments today are under stress you know, for leaving our own government in terms of huge amounts of aid because of the cost of, the, of COVID and, and attendant uh, support that had to be given. So it's not a great time to make an international appeal, but I'm sure the uh, International Monetary Fund, the World Bank, others will, will do stuff. But the, the need, and in my conversation with people there, um, the needs are, are astonishing. People told me that whole blocks uh, and blocks much. and blocks, in fact, they're going back. Half of Beirut has been destroyed or badly damaged. Thank God the synagogue uh, survived. So the government right now is a temporary government. They're they're looking for a new prime minister. I hope they don't have to go to elections. I hope that a lot of the sentiment against Hezbollah will will grow and the anti-Hezbollah sentiment, because clearly they were in charge of this, and we, we, we get to know more and more that this was intended for use on the border with Israel. There are, there's a whole history of um, them using uh, nitrate, ammonium nitrate, and storing it in Germany and Cyprus and Britain and other places where Hezbollah operatives were caught with it. So we don't even know where else they have it, um, and they, you know, it's a used in fertilizer, but it's also used in explosives. Well, I don't think we have the full story yet. There are more people who believe now that it could be weapons were stored underneath that because Iran increasingly was shipping through that port, which is controlled by Hezbollah, and Nasrallah's brother-in-law is the head of the port, um, and of course everybody blames somebody else, but the the the. The nature of the explosion, and you look at the three, the series of three explosions, um, and they clearly were different, uh, one from the other, that there was a feeling that there were weapons there, and either they were set off, or they set off, or that there was some human error. Something has to trigger it. Ammonium nitrate doesn't just explode, but with heat, with the light, if a, a spark, something could have triggered um, what led to this uh, massive explosion. All right, quickly, if we can, did you see the item about Bitcoin funding terror groups? Yes, and it was something that's been feared all along because it's anonymous and not traceable, and it's, um, it will increasingly be, as long as it's around and, and grows in popularity, it'll grow in significance as a means of transferring funds to criminals, to terrorists, to others. Uh, and, uh, I mean, we've spoken about her so often over the last few months, I didn't feel the need to, to make her a real headline in this weekly update, but people do want to know uh, what you have to say now that Joe Biden has chosen his running mate. Well, uh, Kamala Harris uh, had a relationship with the Jewish community. You know, she is, it's been pretty public that she's married to a Jew. I don't think there's anybody who doesn't know it by now. Uh, she, I, I've met him, and he, uh, she spoke to us uh, last September, while she was running for president. Uh, she's smart. She's articulate. I think amongst the names that were circulated, she was the best. Um, and we'll have to see what what she has to say on the campaign trail. Uh, the fact that Biden rejected the uh, word occupation and um, um, and other things that, uh, you know, there were a lot of pressures on him to pick other people. 
but we'll have to see who are who are the dominant forces, who are the influentials, what kind of the cabinet would he have? Um, you know, people speculate because of his age about how long he'll be able to stay in office and whether we're voting for a vice president president. Um, you know, she hasn't had that long a tenure, but she was a, a, an attorney general and a district attorney. Uh, so she has a, a record on a lot of the issues, but the demands within the party of what the, where the people are at, and hopefully because uh, unfortunately the rise of crime and other things, we will see the pendulum swing back uh, from those who are demanding defunding police and other things which are irrational. That's certainly not the position of uh, Biden, but I think you know we'll have to see. Does this help uh, President Trump? Does it hurt him? What happens with control of the Congress? which is equally important, and you saw Elon Omar's victory this week um, by a significant margin, and some of the some others associated with the squad. But they, they we shouldn't exaggerate their power or their influence. And she, they gained two people, which is too too many. But it's it's um, we shouldn't um, put too much emphasis on it. We should be working to help those Democrats who stand with us as as we hold help Republicans who stand with us. We want Israel to be a bipartisan issue. We want anti-Semitism to be a bipartisan issue. We want other concerns that we have and that we share with, in general, with the public to to be addressed. Finally, on that topic of people standing with us, are you aware of this uh, New York City chapter of the Democratic Socialists of America who have sent a questionnaire for 2021 city council candidates in New York asking the following, do you pledge not to travel to Israel if elected to city council in solidarity with Palestinians living under occupation? Even, right. even though foreign policy falls outside the purview of municipal government, gestures like travel to a country by elected officials from a city the size and prominence of New York still send a powerful message, as would the refusal to participate in them. And the second question is, do you support the boycott, divestment, and sanctions movement? If not, why? Right. Outrageous. It's it's more than outrageous, uh, but it is where much of the extreme left has gone. Um, and we have some problems on the extreme right, and we have problems in, in other associations and linkages and, you know, the intersectionality. But here, for them to, to so blatantly give expression to it and to, to ask candidates, and I hope that none of them will even respect it to answer this questionnaire, and we'll just tear it up and throw it out, um, but but it has become more and more complex and more and more acceptable to be able to say things, especially about the Jews or Israel, uh, that uh, would not be acceptable in other circumstances. The use of the Internet, now Facebook taking some measures this week to counter it, but we have to keep the pressure on. We have to expose them, uh, groups like the DSC. It's not a Democratic Party operation. Um, uh, but they they have to be held to account, and they're members should be holding them uh, to account because for whatever their agenda is, this certainly can't can't um, can't fly. But we see that the there is a beginning of a reaction to a lot of the anti-Semitic stuff. We see people, and we're working, and everybody is working full time trying to counter the expressions of anti-Semitism that become more acceptable in in various circumstances when public officials, when you have. Um, the woman who won the race in, I think, in Georgia supports QAnon, and you have others who who are publicly associating with uh, hostile comments, and you have others, and I've talked about 
the case of Nick Cannon, who actually came to dinner Friday night uh, for Shabbat meal and who is really quite a remarkable guy and, and far from an anti-Semite, but he makes mistakes. So you have to discern where somebody who, as he says, I'm doing chuvi, he fasted on Tisha B'Av, and he's, he's done a lot, and he, he has been meeting with uh, Ramani, he's meeting with people, um, but I, I can tell you, I mean, I think I've met him now several times over the last couple of weeks uh, for a long time, long periods, and i got to go that public, and, and even to call on others to, to do the same. So we shouldn't jump at every, you know, the gun on everybody, but we should target those who are truly anti-Semitic to those who are propagating these messages. And what he said was offensive. He recognizes it. Sometimes it's really out of ignorance that people say things or things that they pick up without even thinking about. Um, you know, slogans become so easy. And young people today, because of the Internet and stuff, you see what rappers say, the hatred, yeah. the anti-Semitism, other things. You know, the Rothschilds become this flashpoint. Of, you, you, all of them keep making references. And you ask them, well, what do you know about the Rothschilds? And the answer is nothing. And yet the, it, it's because they become the, the symbol to show Jewish control, Jewish influence. So we have to stay on top of it. We have to respond to it. Again, people report anti-Semitic incidents. I know there were some this week that were not reported, where there's harassment or other things that we don't have statistics. It's like doing the census. If you don't do yeah. it, we lose. 100%. You lose resources. Police are, are called to and are assigned to where there is a, a demand. Now, thank God we don't have shootings and stuff like in other parts, but. Uh, you know, it it doesn't stop at a border. It doesn't uh, doesn't have a particular geographic locus. So it's very important for people report it, and if the police don't come, complain and and go on record about it, and make sure that uh, that you get a report filed about every incident and everything that that occurs that. Uh, violates uh, community standards. Malcolm, I thank you. Uh, we'll speak a week from today. Have a wonderful Shabbos, and thanks so much. Have a great Shabbos, a good Chodesh, one month to level, so, you know, got to think about it. Unbelievable. <laughs> hard, hard to believe we got into this point. The uh, yeah. high holidays right around the corner. Malcolm Holine is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations, joins us Fridays for the weekly update, 7.40 a.m. Eastern Time here at JM. In the AM, this portion of NSN programming brought to you by our friends at A&H. Abel's and Hyman Kosher Hot Dog Sausage and Deli is the world's best, and their hot dogs are available at every Trader Joe's nationwide. Try A&H today. Coming up at 9 o'clock, Naomi Nachman, a brand new live edition of Table for Two with Danielle Renoff and with Shlomo Klein, all live between 9 and 10. Then Mark Zamek with the Arab Shabbos Show brought to you by the wonderful people at Kedem starting at 10 a.m. Eastern Time. We'll speak with Naomi Nachman this hour. We have a packed hour still coming up. Uh, on Sunday, Matis at 8.15 Sunday morning, 8.15 Eastern Time, speaks with Jody Samuels, author of the book Chutzpah, Wisdom, and Wine, The Journey of an Unstoppable Woman. That conversation is 8.15 Sunday morning live on JM Sunday with Matis here at the Nahum Siegel Network. This time each and every Friday, every Erev Shabbos, with great pleasure, we present Rabbi Benjamin Uden, spiritual leader emeritus, Congregation Shomrei Torah in Fairlawn, New Jersey, to address the entire listening audience concerning the Torah portion of the week. Good morning, Rabbi Yudin. Good morning, Nachum. Good Erev Shabbos, everybody. Tomorrow we have the privilege of reading Parshas Re'eh. Parshas Re'eh is an exceedingly rich parsha. It contains 17 positive mitzvot and 38 restrictions. 
among the different mitzvahs that you find in the beginning of the parsha is that of the mitzvah of building a base hamikdash, and finally, at the end of the parsha, you have the parshas of the regalim, the mitzvah of aliyah Regel, Pesach, Shavuos, and Sukkos. That Amir Tzashem, we should all please God in our minds, be yearning to fulfill ASAP. I'd like to focus this morning on the mitzvah of tzedakah, which constitutes two out of the mitzvahs found in this week's parsha. And as we shall see, we'll point out many of the differences between what the world calls charity, which is a voluntary donation, and what we call, and what we are proud to have as tzedakah, which is nothing less than a mitzvah. It's a mitzvah means it's a commandment. We're obligated to so do. And the Gemara teaches in the first chapter of Baba Basra, where many of the laws of tzedakah are found, that kofin al tzedakah. What does that mean? It means that if there's a need in the Jewish community and the various uh, members of the community are assessed, and a person says, as if he was at a smorgasbord, thanks, but no thanks, I'll sit this one out. The answer is no. The Bezdin and the Tzedakah committee has the right to literally take a mashkon, a collateral, and say, when you give your donation, you'll get your silver Hanukkah menorah back. Tzedakah is not a voluntary act. And as we shall see, and here is an exceedingly important maharal in his Gur Aryeh at the end of Parshas Yisro. He notes that there are three mitzvos in the Torah, which the Torah prefaces with the word im, meaning literally if. However, the rabbis teach us that you don't have a choice. Do you want to? Do you not want to do it? but rather it's translated, as Art Scroll does properly, as when. But the question is, if that's the case, if it means when, why does the Torah use an expression of if, if you should? Says the Maharal, what are the three cases? One, im mizbeach avonim taseli, at the end of Yisro, if you shall make an altar for me, as if to say, if you want to make an altar, no, the din is you have to make an altar, but the Torah wants you that your attitude should be that I'm doing it not because I have to do it, I'm commanded, I'm doing it because I want to serve Hashem. The second one is in Mishpatim, in Kesef Talveh Esami, literally, if you lend another Jew money, so the Torah says over there, you're not to take interest. What do you mean, if? The Allah says, if you have, you must lend him money. Sumi has got good credit, etc. You can take a cosigner, but the answer is you have to. So once again, why does the Torah use the word im? Because the Torah wants you to do it, not because you have to do it, but because you want to do it. The Torah, as we shall see in the mitzvah of tzedakah, is to transform the personality of the one giving, that he becomes a giver. That is a primary aspect of this mitzvah of tzedakah. The third one happens to be in Parshas Vayikra, where the Torah speaks about 
in Karban Reishis, where the Torah speaks about the uh, Karban of the Karban Omer, where there too you don't have a choice about saying thank you Hashem for the first produce of barley which came forth, but if I tell you that you must say thank you, mm, something is missing. You want to say thank you on your own. That's why these three have. But the key thing is that the im is to teach us that you want to do it, not because you have to do it. Now, I have to tell you, in keeping with that theme, you find in the third chapter of Rus, where the, Torah, the Megillah teaches that there was the implementation of leaving for the poor the various um, gifts that the Torah says you are to leave agriculturally in your field for the poor. So Rus comes home with two shopping bags full of produce and her mother-in-law Naomi asks her, where did you get this from? Whose field was it? And what does she answer? Shemoish. Asher Osisi Imohayom Boaz. The name of the man that I did for him today was Boaz. Wait a minute. Who did for whom? You and I look at this picture. Rus goes in empty-handed. She comes back <coughs> laden with all kinds of goodies. At first glance, it is Boaz that did for Rus. That's not what she says. She says the name of the man that I did for him. Say our rabbis, Yoser Mima. More than that which the uh, homeowner does for the poor, does the poor individual do for the homeowner. Why? Because the rabbis tell us he transforms the homeowner into a giver. His personality is being uplifted and changed. And therefore, I want to share with you an amazing Rambam. The Rambam in Perik Yud of Hilchos Matnos Anil, the Rambam in the 10th chapter of uh, the laws of uh, giving charity, says in Halacha Dalit, whoever gives charity, besaver upon him ra'os with a bad countenance. He, he shows that he's not especially happy, because after all, the hardest exercise is to take your hand and put it in your pocket and take out your money and give it to somebody else. You worked so hard for it. How can the Torah tell you to do it? And not only that, not only is there a mitzvah of Noson Titin, whereby the Torah says in chapter 15 of this week's parasha, Pasuk 10, but the Torah warns you that there's a low sase, there's a negative command. I'm warning you, says the Torah, earlier in that paragraph, in Pasuk 7, Don't harden your heart. Don't close your hand against your destitute brother. Now, the Rambam writes, the mitzvah is not only to give, but watch. It's how you do it. And therefore, if you give it the save upon him ro'os, if you give it begrudgingly, and the Oni feels it, afilu nosan lo elev zahuvin, you made him feel like two cents or less, 
even if you give him a very lavish amount, Avad Schuso, amazing, you have lost your mitzvah, you've lost your merit, it's gone. But rather, no sin lo besever ponem yafos, you're to give him with a cheerful countenance. And listen to the next word of the Rambam, ubesimcha. And that's what I want to try to focus on. How could you give it besimcha? And you want to commiserate with him for his tzara. I'd like to suggest at least one way that you can give it besimcha, based upon the Orachayim HaKadosh on his Pasuk in um, Mishpatim, whereby the Pasuk we cited earlier in Kesef Talve Es Ami, if you lend money to the poor, Es He'oni Imach, the poor among you. Obviously, the poor is among you. What's going on here? Says the Orachayim HaKadosh, such a powerful idea. Tell me, why is it that Hashem gave some people what it appears on the surface to be less than what they need to make ends meet, and other people, Hashem gave them more than what they need. Why is that? Hey, something is wrong here with the division. And the answer says, the Yorachayim HaKodesh says, No, Eseoni, you, Mr. Rich Man, that have a little bit more, or a lot more, than what you need, just know that that extra, that what you have, Hashem gave it to you, Eseoni. He gave to you what really belongs to the Oni, to the poor person. It's Imach. You are Hashem's Gizbar. You are Hashem's treasurer. You are to give on His behalf to the poor. And therefore, how could you give it the Simcha? You're giving it the Simcha because it's as if you're returning to the poor what's rightfully His, not as if. It's Hashavas Aveda. It's like you're giving Him back that which he lost. Somebody comes to you, you you're an honest man or woman, and you find somebody's wallet, and they give you the proper identification, and they tell you exactly how much was in there, and you give it to them. How happy are they that they have the credit cards, they have the money, they have all the, the amazingly happy, correct? How good do you feel? You feel so good that you've given somebody back that which is his. My friends, that is tzedakah. And that's exactly what you find, interestingly, not only in this Orachayim, but much earlier on the Gemara, Baba Basra, Daf Yud Omar Aleph, 10a, a famous Roman philosopher, Tunis Rufus Russia, asked Rabbi Akiva, if Hashem loves the poor, why doesn't he take care of them? And you know what Rabbi Akiva's answer is? Unbelievable. In order to save the wealthy from among the Jewish people from Dina Shel Gehenim, from going to H-E-L-L. That's correct. Unbelievable. So the next time there's someone knocking on the door, don't say, don't whisper to your kids. Tell them I'm not home. Ay, ay, ay. First of all, God forbid you're teaching your children to lie. But more than that, wow, go to the door yourself. Welcome him, especially in the hot weather like today. Can I give you a drink? And listen to this. The Gemara says in Shabbos, and in Tanis, that Hanosein Prutalitztaka, if somebody gives a donation to a poor person, Almanas Sheyichyebini, literally, on condition that uh, their relative 
should have refuah shlema, says the Gemara, harizat tzadik gomor. You're a completely righteous individual. Wait a second. That's completely righteous? It seems that there's a string attached. No, 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 says the Chassam Sofer so beautifully. Do you have a sick relative? I hope nobody has a sick relative. But tell the Ani, that guess what? I can commiserate with you. You have your sad situation. Amanas she'yechye b'ni. I also have my troubles. Soras rabim chatsinachama. By your sharing with him some of your issues, it makes him feel better as well. Amazing. The idea is that you are, as the Ramam continues over there, umisonein imo al so. You are to show him your nose ba'olim chavero, that you are literally carrying and sharing his burden with him. And that's why the Chinuch writes in Mitzvah, Tov Ayin Tes, not only does he quote his Rebbe the Rambam, that you should give B'Simcha, as he says in his opening line, but he talks about Tzedakah. And listen to this next line. Shekola Mahanes Chavero, whoever benefits the next one, whether you give money, whether you give food, or shorts rachav, afilu bidvarim tovim. If you really don't have, but you pause and you give the person inspiration, you give him hope, you give him uh, words that are uplifting, dvarim tovim, dvarim nichumim, consoling words, bichlau mitzvas hatstokahi, that too is included in staka there's so much more I could say. I want to share with you a Gemara. We just finished the Gemara Shabbos in the Dafyomi this past week. And at the very end, the Gemara tells us that Staka Tatsilmi Mavez. Why? How does Staka save a person from literally from death? The idea being that it's a Mido Kenegan Mido, it's a measure for a measure. You extended their life, HaKadosh Baruch Hu does the same for you. And not only that, based upon a Pesach uh, in this week's parsha, so the Gemara tells us that Rav Chia in Shabbos, Kuf Nun Aleph, Amid Beis, said to his wife that when a poor person comes to the door, okay, listen carefully, be quick to offer him bread, okay? So, why? He said to her, so that others should be quick to offer bread to our children when they are beggars. Oy, oy, oy. She said to him, are you cursing them? He said, no, it's a Pasuk. What does the Pasuk say? The Pasuk says, Ki hadavor Literally, because of this, and the Gemara goes on to say that it's a galgal hachoser ba'olam. It is literally a wheel of fortune in this world. And so, if it's not your children, it's your grandchildren. If not them, it's their grandchildren. But eventually, it hits every family. So what are you doing? You're investing in your own. I can go on and on. I can only say, and we'll close with this idea, that the rabbis teach us that tzedakah literally hastens the geula. We are living in such a uh, turbulent time now. 
We yearn for the Geula. We yearn for our redemption. What you have today, Corona taught us, tomorrow you might not have. Everything is here and there. When you give tzedakah, it is the best investment. You're investing literally in your own. So I close with the idea that remember how important this mitzvah is. You want to know what is the identification of a Jew? Hashem says, Avraham, I love you, Kiyadativ, because Lamana Sheyetzaveh, he will command Bonavis Beso Achrav, Vishomru Derech Hashem. What is Derech Hashem? May we be privileged to walk in the ways of our father Avraham and bringing with this the Geula Bikarov. Shabbat Shalom to all. J.M. in the A.M. on a Friday morning. My thanks to Rabbi Yudin. It's Friday on the 14th of August, the 24th of Menachem Av on this Erev Shabbos Parshas Re'eh. Candle lighting in New York, 734. We'll bench Rosh Elul tomorrow. Rosh Chodesh is Thursday and Friday, all right? So Wednesday night, we start saying Yalaviyavo. Thursday and Friday is Rosh Chodesh. We'll start blowing show for one week from today, believe it or not. Unbelievable. A couple of notes about the weekend. Tomorrow night, Saturday night, Siegel, Avrami with Rabbi Eliezer Zwickler. Great way to start the week. Make sure to be tuned in on the Nahum Siegel Network. Sunday, Matis hosts JM Sunday live, live between... Uh, 7 and 9 a.m. 7 and 9 a.m. this coming Sunday at 8.15. Matis speaks with Jody Samuels, author of the book Chutzpah, Wisdom, and Wine, The Journey of an Unstoppable Woman. She is Matis's guest, 8.15, this coming Sunday morning right here on JM Sunday on the Nahum Siegel Network. Well, it is not easy to get a hold of Naomi Nachman right now, obviously. She is preparing to really kick off... Um, an amazing and incredible five seven eight one season. Five seven eight one is going to be a bit of a challenge. Naomi doesn't have the confines of the Nahum Siegel Network studios to work with, but we have a brilliant engineer, uh, ZK, who right now uh, is at the Nachman Studios preparing for a live show. This is how Naomi's kicking off the five seven eight one season with a live show that's coming up between 9 and 10, maybe even later, uh, because of the uh, nature of it being live and our first kickoff show of the season. Don't worry, right after that, we'll go to Mark Zomik and the Erev Shabbos show, brought to you by the wonderful people at Kednam. She has some great guests today. They'll be recording another new show for next week, and the way Naomi is, as long as she's in town, she's going to be treating us with all new shows throughout the entire season. Um... Uh, which is uh, an amazing and wonderful radio habit of hers to try to be try to be live when possible, but certainly to try to be new as often as possible, and we thank her for that. Anyway, Naomi Nachman is with us live via telephone. I'm sure ZK is completely overworking her in the minutes before the show, so we'll probably only have a minute or two with her. Naomi, welcome back to JM in the AM. Hi, Nachum. How are you? Is ZK overworking you in advance? No, of the- I'm sitting in my backyard with my coffee, with my Daniel Reynolds cookbook, <laughs> he's like the carrots book, on the table in front of me. I already have my one of my guests who is going to be in person. We all know Danielle's in Israel. But I have Amichai Miller, a.k.a. Baked by Mo. He's about 17. 
Wow. And he has his own baking business. He's over again. He came over to bring us some baked goods, and we're going to interview him as well. So we've got a really big lineup. I'm so pumped for a new show. Doing it with people in person is so much better than doing it over Zoom. And I love that I was able to have the technology that we did a couple of Zoom shows. But to be in person is nothing like you it. Know, to be live. You know, it's funny. Yeah, live. and to be live, which is amazing. And it's funny because I had expressed to you a couple of weeks ago how listeners, you know, they wanted to hear new shows, rightfully. You're very popular, obviously, and they love hearing new material, especially in terms of what's going on in the world of cooking, etc. And and then I contacted you to discuss it, and, and you were more frustrated than the listeners. You wanted to get back as soon as possible and start bring, yeah. bringing new material to us. So today it's going to be live between 9 and 10, maybe even later. Next week, whatever you're doing later today, we're going to be treated to. We'll be able to hear and see yeah. um, uh, in terms of next week. And, and, and again, I don't think it's an overreach. I hope you don't mind me saying it, what I just said earlier, that that your intention is to be you know, filled with new material every week throughout the entire season, as long as you're available and in town and all I'm that? I'm trying to get as much out as possible all the time. You know I love this, Nahum, and I'm always so grateful. I can't believe this is season nine. Oh, yeah, I know. It's unbelievable. Nahum, nine- this is crazy. When this when this came up, when Miriam Wallet called me to do a show, got maybe a year or two, we thought, we have, I think I've done 200 shows already. But unbelievable. Uh, just to be in season nine, I started halfway through season one. Uh, this February will be my ninth year. Uh, just crazy. It really is. When you think about it, it's really unbelievable. And a lot of people enjoy it every single week. It's an amazing uh, uh, amazing program to be on right after the Friday JM and the AM. People are preparing for Shabbos. They want ideas. They want to hear the latest news in the world of cooking, and you provide it, of course. By the way, if you're sitting with Danielle's cookbook, I, I hope I hope you've worked out over the summer. Did you, did you feel how many pounds that book weighs? <laughs> Okay, you know people are calling it a textbook. <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> it, because it's filled with a ton of information, you know? And you, you, you're carrying Danielle around with you. <laughs> it's also her, literally her way, in, you know, is, is in this book. Her personality, her smile, everything is, is right here in this book. So, All right, and you're you gonna... know, I know what she went through to write this book. You know, after doing a book myself, you know what goes into it. And I met Danielle right at the beginning of her Instagram career, and I love her, and she's amazing, and... So proud of her. Like, this is really amazing. And people love when you have her on. Today, it's really cool because, again, folks, it's going to be live. Obviously, she's on Zoom because she's in Israel, but it'll be a live conversation. ZK is setting up the connection right now to go live right after we finish at JM in the AM. So one more time, Naomi, list of guests for today's show and list of guests for for next week's show. Go right ahead. So this, this week, it's uh, Amichai Miller, who is baked by Mo, uh, Shifra and Shlomi Klein from Flashix Magazine, the one and only Danielle Renoff. And uh, Joe Klein, Just One Chesed, is coming on this week. And next week, my good friend Alexander Rappaport from Aspia, Malki Herskish, the kosher cook, and Noam Lazar, uh, kosher candy store. He's going to bid me candy. You should come, <laughs> You're excited about that, I see. Yeah. Save me. I, I'm very excited. Save, I'm always excited. Save me some, please, even at this age, how I never got rid of this sweet tooth. I will never know, frankly. You think- I'm, I'm very happy to eat a lot of bread. I love to eat bread. <laughs> there you go. Some people like candy. I like bread. But I'm excited to have um, uh, um, now I'm on the show because it's so great that he's like in, in elementary school and he has a candy business. He's in elementary school? Yeah. How yeah. old is he? I want to say 13 or 14. I think he's in eighth grade. And he has a candy business? Yeah, he's amazing. He imports stuff from all over the world that has a heksha, like juicy fruit, which, which we, is not we, kosher here. He which we don't buy here. Right? We, don't, we don't buy it here, so he gets it from a country where you could buy it. 
Yeah, I'm going to tell him he's got to start bringing Vegemite, but I don't think it'll be such a big hit. <laughs> Does that have extra? <laughs> uh, absolutely. Tell him to Australia. stop. You know, I may su- I may uh, suspend the COVID rule here if he wants to stop by the studio. I'm just letting you know. <laughs> you can mention yeah, that uh, to him. We'll, we'll hook you up, Michael. We'll hook you up. <laughs> you can mention that to him. Naomi, 11 minutes from now, good luck and send regards to Thank ZK, you. please. And CK Nachum says hi. <laughs> there we go. And have a wonderful Shabbos. Naomi Nachman coming up right after JM and the AM with a really new and live edition of Table for Two to kick off the 5781 season, season nine. Danielle Renoff among her guests in hour number one uh, of her uh, presentation. Well, hour number one in, in the hour between nine and 10. Then, of course, the next hour that she's going to uh, take care of today uh, will be next week's show right here at the Nachum Siegel Network. All right, 10 minutes before, uh, actually 11 minutes before 9 o'clock. More coming up. It's JM and the AM. This is Arye Kunstler. Till I can sing these songs again So I take it with me every 
day till Shabbos comes And I can say, come join with me, my friends Kuna Ran and all I J.M. in the A.M. Oh, yes. Arye Kunstler here on a Friday morning era of Shabbos. Candle lighting 734. Make sure you know when things start where you are. As it is getting earlier and stuff. Arosh Chodesh is Thursday and Friday. We'll bench Rosh Chodesh a little tomorrow. Keep that in mind. Uh, our recommendation is uh, on Twitter, if you're into the Jewish calendar and you want to be up to date today on uh, when Rosh Chodesh is, when the Molot is, etc., make sure to follow Jewish Calendar Tidbits, at Tidbits Jewish, Jewish Calendar Tidbits. You'll find it very, very helpful. This portion of NSN programming brought to you by our friends at A&H, Abel's and Hyman Kosher Hot Dog Sausage and Deli is the world's best. The hot dogs are available now in all Trader Joe's nationwide. Check them out today. Um, that's our friends at A&H. If you are in look, if you're looking for a job or you know someone who is, feel free to use our resume service. Send your resume to resume at nachomsegel.com. Resume at nachomsegel.com. Uh, anything in the uh, Jewish not-for-profit professional world will obviously send to our friends at the Joel Pohl Group. Uh, but otherwise, uh, we'll see what we could do in terms of matching people up with jobs and potential. A lot of job openings are coming across our desk. Seriously. People contact us. We're looking for this, looking for that. So maybe we can uh, make a match and get more people employed during this difficult time. Resume at NahumSiegel.com. Uh, big thank you to Aaron's Casino Farms and Aaron's West Orange. Go to CasinoFarms.com. Go to Aaron'sWestOrange.com. They're presenting our August contests here at JMNAM and the Nahum Siegel Network, which will continue, of course, next week. Enjoy a great shopping experience. Visit Aaron's in Queens and Aaron's in West Orange. You will love it, as we do. I try to get there as often as possible. Time to say good job as it's journeys at JM in the AM.
special blessing on a cup that's filled with wine. Man and his creator, it's a very special sign. Your candles will be burning, they'll fill your home with light. Singing songs of Shabbos, well in. Our brothers and sisters in Israel, we are with you. It's your favorite America's one and only Jewish Moments in the Morning Radio program. Heard on listeners-sponsored digital radio. Around the world, the web at NachumSegal.com and the NachumSegal Network, and of course on the beloved NSN app. Wraps up an amazing Friday and a great week for us here at JM and the AM. Thanks so much for tuning in. Tomorrow night, Saturday night, Segal with Avrami. Make sure to join Avrami uh, tomorrow night with Ariel Eliezer Zwickler. Great way to start the week. Sunday, it's JM Sunday with Matis. The book is called... Chutzpah, Wisdom, and Wine. Jody Samuels, the author, joins Matis at 8.15 live on Sunday morning. Uh, Coming up next, a live brand new edition of Table for Two with Naomi Nachman. That is next with Danielle Renoff, Shlomo Klein, and others who are going to be joining her for this amazing hour between 9 and 10 o'clock. Right after that, Mark Zamek hosts the Arab Shabbos show, sponsored by the wonderful people at Kedem. Make sure to join them. I will speak to you Monday, everybody. Have a wonderful Shabbos. Great weekend. Until Monday, Nachum Single reminding you, remember the past, live the present, and trust the future. 